Welcome to The Encouraging Word, a podcast from Ascension Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Iowa. In our episodes, you'll find sermons, services, and in-depth Bible studies to help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or want to connect, reach out to us at alcwloo at mchsi.com. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome to our study. Before we begin, let's uh, open with prayer. Lord God, you have caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so read them, uh, listen to them, mark them, and take them to heart, so that by the patience and comfort you offer in your Holy Word, we can embrace and to ever hold fast to the hope of eternal life which you offer us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So two weeks ago, our last session, we, we talked about who Jesus was, that he's both uh, true God and true man, two natures in one person. Now, for I think we'll, I think this study will take us two weeks, probably. So just keep this one, bring this one again next week. I don't think we're going to get through everything today. Um, but we're going to look at the work of Christ. Um, and so the main point, the Bible truth here, that, that this lesson intends to bring is this, that Jesus is the Messiah. And that means he is our prophet, priest, and king. A Bible verse uh, that says this is that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And you'll see some of this. What last time we read the Augsburg Confession, Article uh, 3, you'll see in there that it begins to, not only does it did it talk about who Jesus was as true God and true man, it also mentioned um, some of what he did. Um, starting in uh, Article 3, um, Paragraph 2, about halfway through, that he, he truly suffered he was crucified, died, and buried. He went through all this so that he could restore us to peace with the Father and to be a sacrifice, not just for original sin, but all <coughs> other sins. He went. Uh, the word, that is Christ, also went down into hell, truly rose again the third day. Afterwards, he went up into heaven that he might sit at the right uh, on the right hand of the Father. There he rules forever and has power over all creatures, making holy all those who believe in him. He does this by sending the Holy Spirit into their hearts to rule comfort, to make them alive, as well as defending them from against the devil and the power of sin. The same Christ will openly come again to judge the living and the dead, etc. So you can see it, 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 it's kind of focused on, the article is focused on two things. First, who Jesus is. Second, what he does. So now over the next two weeks, we're going to unpack this and look at what Jesus does. The first question I have for you is, what is a Messiah? What, just, if you were to explain it in your own words, without looking at my cheat sheet. <laughs> Would it be just another name for, like, God or Lord or... Okay, not quite, but I can see exactly why you would think that. Okay. Because that's how we use it. Mm-hmm. What about you? Somebody says, what's the Messiah? When we say Jesus is the Messiah, what do we mean? I don't know. Um, he was the one that was prophesied. Prophesied, all right. So we're right. So uh, he he was the one that 
the Jews, the Jews were looking for. Right. So there's there's a little bit of this idea that a Messiah was somebody prophesied in the Old Testament. Let's look into this. So the word Messiah in Hebrew and Christ in Greek mean the same thing. Um, so the word Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. The difference is language. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. What does the word Christ mean? It mean and Messiah both mean the same thing. They mean the anointed one. Think of the word christening. What is christening? Well, christening is when, you know, uh, uh, you take like a bottle and you break it over a ship. You christen the ship, right? It means to anoint it. Um all right, uh, so um, that's um, what the word means. When you say Jesus is, so when it says Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. <laughs> All right, it's not his name, that's his title, right? He's Jesus the Messiah, the, Jesus the anointed one. Biblical, there's some biblical significance here. Someone was anointed in the Old Testament, was somebody who was consecrated to a high office by the ceremonial anointing with oil. The anointing uh, uh, to an office gave a person a high and sacred status. Oh, you've got um, A high and sacred status and, um, and assured authority, reverence, and respect. Can you think of, off the top of your head, an example from the Bible in the Old Testament of somebody being anointed? Kings. Kings! Which king in particular can you think of? I don't know. David comes to mind. Mm -hmm. sure. David, yep. That's the, under the kings, that's the 1 Samuel uh, 16 passage. You'll see it there. That, uh, um, that, that is... Um, 1 Samuel 16, 1 to 13, that's the, the anointing of, of David. You remember what happens? Uh, God rejects Saul, and, and, and there's a similar thing about Saul being anointed. Um, um, and what does is, what is Samuel the prophet do? All, he, all of Jesse's sons come before him, and then, and then finally David comes before him, and God says, he's the one, anoint him. And so what does he do? He un un uncorks the, the flask of oil and pours it on his head. All right? Um, it's an anointing with that designates him as, as the next king. And then in 1 Kings 1.39, I bet you that's either Solomon or, Saul or David being anointed king again. Um uh, let me just quickly look this up. First Kings uh, 1, 39. Um, no, that's Solomon. Then uh, Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. All right. So what does this tell you? This tells you that the Messiah is a kingly figure, Right? Right? You following me? He's the anointed one. In the Old Testament, kings were anointed. Also, so were priests. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 8. There's a reason why Leviticus is in your Bible. 
not just for you to skip over when you do Bible reading. Um, Leviticus chapter 8, verses 12 to 13. Do we have a volunteer for this one? Nice and loud voice, too. I can read it. All right. It's 8, 12, right? 8, 12, and 13. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fastened caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. All right. So notice, these are the priests, the setting up of the priesthood. What happens to them when the priests are set up? Oil is poured on their heads, and they are marked out for the office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is, so now we have prophets and priests are both anointed in, um, let's, uh, or so priests and kings, I should say. Uh, let's go look at prophets. First Kings 19.16. First Kings 19.16. Do we have a volunteer for that one? And maybe somebody else want to do Psalm 105.15 after. First Kings 19.16. Yeah. 19, First Kings 19.16. Anybody can read it, yep. Also anoint Jehu. Jehu, son of Nimshi. Nimshi, king king over Israel, and other Elijah, son of Shaphat. Shaphat. I should have read this one. From Abel Mahovah. Yes. To succeed you as a prophet. Yes. Now, when reading Old Testament names, sin boldly. If you right, don't hesitate. Just pronounce it however you think it should be pronounced, and make it sound like you know what you're talking about. Okay. That that that's that is my my rule of thumb for Old Testament names. All right. Notice the king is anointed, but who else is anointed? Elisha to to replace right. So the right so the, uh, to be a prophet in place of Elijah. You see the same thing. Psalm 105.15. I'll read this one because I've got it here. 105 verse 15 says, Touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. See that? See the parallel? In Hebrew poetry is composed of what we call parallelism. English poetry usually rhymes or something. Hebrew poetry parallels. So they have two different lines that say either the same thing or a different thing um, or a complementary thing. Here it's the same thing. So what's paralleled together? Anointed ones and prophets. Mm-hmm. See it? Mm-hmm. So, so here we have three different groups of people, three different offices in the Old Testament were anointed with oil. They are prophets Priests and kings. All right. The next point here is the Jews believed the Old Testament predicted the coming king 
the true heir of David, who would deliver Israel from their enemies, rule the nations, restore them from exile, and bring tr uh, true God-given justice and peace to the whole world. I want you to see that. Each one of those uh, are specifically chosen um, because that is what they, that is what they thought the, the job of the Messiah was, right? Deliver Israel from the enemies, rule the nations, restore them from exile, bring true God given justice and peace to the whole world. All right? Can you see from that why? First, can you see where that's based in the Bible? Right? But can you also see why they misunderstood Jesus as being as these taking these things literally? Right? Are you starting to see why the Jews insisted that he had that Jesus had to overthrow the Romans? Because they're right. I want you to just see that for a second. Next point on the second column, they thought the Messiah would also have a priestly role. What what was the the priestly role? Rebuilding or cleansing the temple and worship. Right? They also thought that the great prophet like Moses, um, I think we will look that up that verse up I'm referring to a little bit later, um, uh, would return before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Sometimes the Jews thought these were three different figures. You get that in John chapter 1, where the Jews say, Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? Right? They sometimes they thought they were kind of different figures. But they all expected um, um, these things to come. Um, uh, Jesus thought he was the Messiah. Let's, that's a, this is an important point. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, right? This isn't something, this isn't a case where Christians said Jesus was the Messiah and he didn't think he was. No, he says he's the Messiah. Let's look this up. I have a question. Perfect. Where where do they get that they're waiting for Elijah? They think Elijah's their Messiah. That's from that's from Malachi. Oh, okay. In the very last bit of Malachi, it says that um, God will send Elijah before the great day. Um, Jesus um, understands that to be a reference to John the Baptist. Um, and John the Baptist denies that he's Elijah because he's. He's not denying what Jesus says. He's denying that he is what they're looking for. They, 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 they want something specific. They have a specific twist on it that he's denying, right? Because the Pharisees want this political figure, right? That kind of thing. Okay. Um, but the Elijah thing is, is uh, from the end of Malachi, and it refers to John the Baptist. Um, Luke chapter 4. Um, verses 16 to 21. Can we have a volunteer for that one? I'll read that one. Okay. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fast, fastened on him, and he began saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay. So, I want you to see here, who is Jesus claiming to be? So he gets, he gets the scroll. The scroll, I have the, the Old Testament passage cited there with the CF. You ever see that CF period? That means, it's a Latin word meaning to compare. So compare, so this is, he's quoting Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. He reads Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. And what does he say about himself? He is, he's claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the one um, who Isaiah prophesied. Exactly. Yeah. And how do we get the Messiah out of that passage? Where, what's the chief word there? In verse 18. Anointed. Anointed. You see it? Oh, okay. the, the Lord has anointed me. Right? In Hebrew, that's going to be a form of the word Messiah. Right? Um, it's going to be similar, similar in sounding, right? So God has anointed me, he's messiahed me <laughs> to be, christened me. That, that probably, um, that would carry the sense a little bit better in English. Though you could read it, the Lord has, because he has christened me to preach the good news. He's Christed me, right? Uh, so you, you see that he's claiming here to be the Messiah, the one whom this Old Testament passage is talking about. And this is Jesus' inaugural sermon uh, here. But if that's not explicit enough, let's just jump over to John. Chapter 4. The woman on the well. At the well. I don't think she's on it. She's at it. Um, 24, or 25 and 26. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. All right, so if you need an even easier verse, there it is. I know the Messiah, the Christ is coming. See, the words are interchangeable. And she, he says, yeah, that's me. I'm he. All right, Jesus claims to be the Messiah. Uh, the basic confession of the early Christian church is that Jesus is the Messiah. All right, Matthew 16, uh, uh, 6, uh, we just had this feast day on the 18th. The church celebrates the feast of the confession of St. Peter. Please, 16, uh, uh, 16 to 23. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Perfect. That, that's just that's good enough. That's good enough. Okay. That's good enough. Um, um, but notice that's what Peter, that's what Peter, this is the confession of the early church that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. All right? Jesus claims it for himself. This, uh, and uh, you also see that up in the verse that I have as the chief Bible verse. Up at Acts 10, right? That, that's the same thing. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. This is part of the early Christian teaching and worship. So early Christian theology divides Jesus' work into three categories corresponding to these things. Prophet, priest, and king. We call this his threefold office. 
He holds prophet, priest, and king. This is a distinction that goes, like our last distinction, you will find these three categories in every denomination you go to. Uh, Rome has these three distinctions. We have these three distinctions. Other Protestants will use these three, same three distinctions. That Jesus is your prophet, your priest, and your king. Questions on what is a Messiah? There's tons of prophecies that go with the Messiah. Um, we could do a whole Bible study on Messianic prophecies, but I just want you to set, um, this part is to set up Jesus' threefold office. There, there, that there's these three things, prophets, priests, and kings. Now we're going to look into each one of them, and what does it say about what Jesus is doing for you and for your salvation. That's the work of Christ. What Jesus is doing for you, for your salvation, for the good of the church. What right? That's what we're covering here. Okay, a king. What's a king? A ruler. A ruler. Yep. He has the power and authority to rule a country. Right? Um, the Messiah was going to be an everlasting king. Right? That we're, I want uh, somebody to look up 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 16. And I'll read the Daniel passage. 2 Samuel 7. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise you, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now 16. Yep. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. Right? Do you, you see that? He's promising that David's throne and his kingdom, his offspring, will uh, be established forever. That the Messiah would be an everlasting king. You see this prophesied again near the end of the Old Testament in chapter 2, verse 44 of Daniel. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people. It shall break all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Right? Yep. Sure. If Jesus is a king, mm -hmm. there has to be a kingdom. Yep. Because it's hand in hand. Okay, and when he says that this will last forever, is that a thousand year millennium? Um, no. Uh, the Lutheran Church teaches that the millennium um, um, we'll, we'll come back to this later at the, at, at the, in our last few sessions when we uh, talk about last things, but that the millennium in Revelation, which is only spoken of in Revelation, and the um, interpretation of the passage is much debated because it's, it's not an easy text, it's a hard text in Revelation. Um, so, uh, but the, uh, we would say that the millennium refers to the entire rule of Christ over his church from his ascension um, until his second coming. Um, we'll get, why do I say it that way? We'll come back to that later. Um, but here, I think, I think we will come to answer what is your, what is the, um, the answer to your question, we will get there, I think, uh, about what does it mean that his kingdom, we're going to, in a second, we're going to look at 
um, Jesus' three kingdoms. He has three kingdoms, and we're going to we'll look at them in a second. All right, second, uh, the next page. Um, God's ideal for a king in the Old Testament was that he would be a shepherd. He would shepherd God's people. This is uh, uh, 2 Samuel 5, verse 2. Uh, can we have somebody read that? Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in, and the Lord said to you, you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Great. And so... Um, you can think of a bunch of passages, I'm sure you can think of, that, that where Jesus is likened to a shepherd, isn't it? Can't you? I am the good shepherd, right? These kinds of passages. That's the kingly side. Okay. I'm going to mention the same exact point in my sermon. The kingdom of God does not refer to heaven. Take that thought out of your head and flush it down the toilet. The kingdom of God does not refer to heaven. It is not a realm. The phrase, the kingdom of God, refers to the reign of God. His rule. Right? So, um, so the kingdom of God means God or Christ's ruling activity or his reign. When the Bible talks about kingdom of God or Christ, it's not talking about heaven, nor about a group of persons who or things governed. The focus is on Christ's Activity as king, ruling. I have a question. Yeah. Um, God is king. Is he king over, I mean, when you say church, he's, he's king over the church. Does that just mean believers? What about the unbeliever out there in the world? Is he not their king? We're about to answer that right now. Oh. Good okay. question. So notice here, we have three more bullet points under king. We tip, we've just, for the sake of ease, we divide Christ's kingdom into three kingdoms. His kingdom of power, his kingdom of grace, and his kingdom of glory. See them there? Power, grace, glory. I'm going to read through them, and we're going to go back and look at the scriptures and kind of undergird them, okay? The kingdom of power is where he rules the universe in the interests of his church. That answers your question. He rules the universe, everything, right? Matthew 28, 18, we know that verse. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to who? To Jesus, right? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, 20 and 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 23. 22 through 23. All right. We're um, kind of jumping into the middle of one of Paul's sentences, but... The whole darn chapter is a big one long sentence from Paul. So, Ephesians, 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. 
Calvary death. All right, thank you. Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Notice that he, Jesus has been given authority over everything, all things, for the sake of the church. All right? So Jesus, and there's other passages in the New Testament that talk about this. Jesus rules everything. But the way he rules the universe is slightly different than the way he rules the next one, which is the church. The kingdom of grace is his rule in the church through word and sacrament ministry. Um, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, you know this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples. How are you making disciples? Baptizing them and teaching them. Right? All right. Ephesians 4. Next, just turn your page to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It says there, um, and, he, and his gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints, comma, if there's no comma in your Bible, write one in. There's a comma there. To equip the saints, comma, one thing, for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. Uh, what? How long? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then the next one is uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Can I have a volunteer for that one? One through four, sorry. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. And God wants you to be not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who trusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. That's right. And that chief shepherd, you could um to better help you get the sense, you could almost read that as the chief pastor, because the pastor is a shepherd, right? It makes, it makes sense. All right, so, and there's other verses in the New Testament which we will come to when we talk about sacraments. The point is that Christ rules the church through word and sacrament. The Holy Spirit, through word and sacrament, creates, creates faith, sustains faith, and unites you to Christ. Um, and we'll, we'll come to the, that later. Um, but that's how he rules the church because that's what, the, and we'll, we'll see this in a few weeks. So that's what the church is. The church 
is not just all believers. The church is all believers gathered together around word and sacrament. It's, it's, that's, that's, the, that's the definition we'll see in the Augsburg Confession for the church. The church are those who gather together to hear Christ's word, gather around word and sacrament. There is no such thing as a Christian without the church. It doesn't work. You need to be part of the body. And, that, and the only way we know where the church is is where the gospel is preached and the sacraments are administered. It's, we gather around. That's what the word church means, assembly, those who gather. Right? We'll, get, we'll come back to this, I know, and, but that's, that's important. So we gather together around word and sacrament, and Christ is the king who rules his church through his word, through baptism and the Lord's Supper and uh, confession. All right. And then we have his kingdom of glory. Uh, Jesus' kingdom of glory is his reign in heaven, where he is accompanied by his saints. Lots of verses here. Um, so you, you see, he, his rule in heaven is not quite the same as he rules the universe, and it's not quite the same as the way he rules the church. But he's still the king of all three. Um uh, let's look up some of these verses. Let's apportion them. Can we get somebody to read uh, Luke 22, 29 and 30? And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on my and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Great. Um, so you see in that verse that... Um, that in Christ's kingdom, he, when he's referring to the, the end here, that the apostles will sit on thrones and, and, and rule with him. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.18, do we have a volunteer for that one? Verse 18, right? Yep. Oh, there it is. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right. So Paul is assured that he will be rescued and, 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 and rule with Christ in his kingdom. Um John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Yeah. To be with me where I am, right? And before, and before Christ returns to the earth, uh, he's in heaven, right? Revelation chapter 7. I'll read this one. 15 to 17. Um, talking about the, the great multitude that come out of the great tribulation. Um, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his, with his temple. And he who sits upon the throne will shelter them with his presence. And it, and it goes on. I just want you to see that Christ is in heaven with saints. Um, so we have his three kingdoms here, his kingdom of power, his kingdom of grace, and his kingdom of glory. Or to put it a different way, Christ is king, and that means he rules the universe, he rules the church, and he rules in heaven, right? Yeah, I got, I got a question. 
I know there it says that the kingdom of God means God's ruling activity. Yep. Uh, I know if we get in the four gospels, the kingdom is mentioned at least a hundred times. Oh, yes. Now, there is some place in the gospels, I don't know off the top of my head here, but one verse will say the kingdom of God. You go down a couple more verses, it says the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. When you read those verses, they seem to be synonymous. Yes, that's right. So what is the definition of the kingdom of heaven? Then? The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. Um, only Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven because Matthew's a Jew, and Jews have the habit of not using the word God. They will switch out another word for God. And so when Matthew says the kingdom of heaven... He's reflecting Jewish custom and practice. Whereas Luke, where the, the Gentile readers will quote Jesus in the exact same instance, saying the kingdom of God. So what Jesus, what, what's happening there is Jesus speaking to Jews follows the Jewish custom of swapping out God's name for something, um, uh, for something that is synonymous with God or close enough to God that you would get it. The Jews still do this to this day. They will call, they don't say, they won't say the word God. They'll say, they'll call him Hashem, the name, right? Or, you know, the, this kind of thing. So um, you'll only find kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel. In Luke and in uh, Mark, you will find, or Luke and Luke and Mark, you will find that that phrase, kingdom of heaven, um, um, uh, converted to Gentile ears uh, to be the kingdom um, of God. Um, and you see this in Matthew's gospel, too, when he prays in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, the kingdom of heaven is not heaven itself. Because in our gospel reading today, you'll see the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, Matthew will say. But Luke, Mark says the kingdom of God has come near. Um, and um, what does that mean? It doesn't mean heaven is on earth suddenly. It means that the king is present and he is working with his power to um, overthrow the devil, to undo his works, to forgive sins. Uh, to, to this kind of thing, to usher in his kingdom. Does that help? Okay. Great. Any more questions on Christ as king before we move on to Christ as prophet? And I think we'll probably get through Christ as prophet, and then we'll stop there. And next time, we will look at Christ as priest, because there's enough there to keep us busy for a whole session. All right. What's a prophet? You got it right here. I do. I want you to see, though, a prophet is not somebody who foretells the future necessarily. Okay? Yeah, that's a good question. Certainly. Just for me, I don't know if this is a weird question, but prophet and disciple, is there a huge difference? I mean, what's the difference? Good question. Uh, a disciple is one, is um, uh, a, a learner, a follower, right? So when you hear the word disciple, think one who follows, one who learns maybe a student, all of those um, are, um, um, ideas are carried on, or what the word disciple means. A prophet 
is one who speaks for God, right? Making known and interpreting God's word and his will to man. So a disciple is not necessarily called to be a prophet, right? Because a, a disciple is called to learn from Jesus and follow Jesus. A prophet is called to speak for God. Didn't the disciples become prophets? They did. Well, they became apostles, but they had a prophetic office. Now there's apostles in here. That's right. So I'm always confused on all those. Okay. Uh, the word apostle means sent, a sent one. So um, um, in the Old Testament, you have the prophets. In the New Testament, you have apostles. They, they function very similarly. Um, um, so... But the key idea with an apostle, or the prophet, I'm sorry, is it's somebody who speaks for God. Think of all those times in the Old Testament prophets. Thus says the Lord, right? That's what a prophet says, right? Uh, a disciple is somebody who sits and, and, and follows Jesus and listens to him and learns from him. The, some of his disciples become apostles, those whom Jesus sent out to be um to bring his word yeah, to the world. So is there no So is it right to say that a prophet gives prophecies? Yes. Okay. Prophecies don't necessarily foretell the future. Prophecies can be can foretell the future. They can, but not not all prophecies are about the future. Some prophecies are prophecies of judgment. You have done terrible things, and God is angered with you, right? That's not necessarily foretelling the future. It's proclaiming God's word to the people. But as a rule, though, prophecies are about future events. It could be a near or a far event, though, isn't it? Not, no. Prophecies are not necessarily about the future. Prophecies are um, words that the message that God has given to the people. Um, for example... Um, the message given to the prophet Hosea was to go and marry a harlot because Israel is being a harlot to me spiritually. And there's no foretelling the future necessarily. There's a message of if you don't repent, judgment will come. But his, the word from the Lord is you are committing sin. You need to stop. You need to repent. Right? That's a word from God. So think of it as um, a prophet is, um, instead of foretelling, think forth-telling. He is proclaiming whatever God's word is. Sometimes those words are in the future. Most of the time, it goes like this. You're sinning this way. You better smarten up, or God will judge you. Or, and after a while, especially Isaiah Jeremiah, you've sinned, you won't stop, you've killed the prophets, the Babylonians are coming, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. But those are future prophecies, right? Yes, not anymore. Right? Jer Jeremiah's, all Jeremiah's prophecies, except for those about maybe about Christ and the second coming, um, if there's any that relate to that, are, are, are yet to come. But most of the Jeremiah is about the destruction of Jerusalem in in. in 586 by the they would be prophecy, but Daniel did the same thing back in Daniel 9.26 when he gave out the prophecies and 
490 years. Yeah, there are so those yeah, are future. There are some prophecies that that um, yeah, there are some prophecies that still relate to the future. The error that all prophet there's a um, there's an error called a heresy, I guess you could say. Um, Um, there's an error that says um, all of the prophecies in the Bible are already fulfilled. That is a heresy called um, preterism. P that's preterism. Yeah. Right. Um, that's not the case. Um, are a lot of Bible prophecies fulfilled? Absolutely, a lot of them are fulfilled. Most of them are fulfilled in Christ. There are prophecies left to be fulfilled. Absolutely, there's tons of prophecies left to be fulfilled. Um, are there any prophecies that need to be fulfilled before Jesus comes again? No. Jesus can come again at any moment. There's nothing, you don't have to wait for something to happen before Jesus can come. Jesus can come anytime, right? But there's still lots of things prophesied about Jesus' coming and about what happens after that that are still to come. Does that make sense? And we'll, we'll get to uh, eschatology at the end, favorite subject. Would you consider pastors and priests to be prophets because they speak for God? In a sense, the New Testament does use the term prophet and prophecy in a in a in a way to describe what pastors do as as preachers as, as heralds of God's words. We would say um, it's it's appropriate it's appropriate at least in the New Testament language to use the word prophet with a small p, not with a capital P. If you catch my meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, um, capital P would be Old Testament, right? Um, that kind of thing. All right. Uh, the Messiah was going to be a, a prophet. This is a very important text. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 18.15. Very important text. Somebody want to read that one? Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. That's right. You must listen to him. That's right. What did God say? To What did God command the disciples who were on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Mm -hmm. Right? Jesus is the prophet who Moses talks about. Moses said, there will come a prophet like me. And Jesus is that prophet. Um, since Jesus is the very son of God, um, there is no revelation of the true God except by Jesus. That's John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. All right? This means that there's a difference between Jesus and the prophets. The prophets spoke by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Christ speaks by personal and immediate knowledge. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says... Um, uh, God, sorry, I'm going to go King James here. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke of old by the prophets, has now in these last days 
spoken to us by his son, right? God used to speak through the prophets. Now he speaks through his son, right? That's Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Um, notice the prophet says, thus says the Lord. Jesus says, truly I say to you. <laughs> you catch the difference? He said, I'm telling you, right? And that's why people say, what is this, with authority, right? Who are you to say, you know, I'm telling you this um, because he's the son of the very son of God. Um, Jesus reveals divine truth during his ministry to humanity. He proclaims God's plan of, of redemption. He calls everyone to accept the salvation that's offered. That's his prophetic work. Throughout his ministry, Jesus uh, functions as a prophet speaking uh, what he heard from God, preaching both law and gospel. I don't think we need to look up these verses. Do you, do you agree that that's what Jesus did in his, in his ministry, right? I think we'll see that. Um, Jesus' prophetic office is aimed at countering the deception of the devil. John 1, 3, 8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what 1 John 3, 8 says. And John 8, 31 to 32 um, says that uh, the devil is a liar. So the devil is a liar, and Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And this means he, and, and, and also you know the verse, uh, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is coming to reveal the truth. That, te and, and this gets to what you were talking about, uh, Sandy, the teaching office of Jesus is executed today through the ministry of the word, through through pastors, uh, that's why Jesus can say in Luke um, ten sixteen, "He who hears you hears me." Right. Um, any questions about prophets, um, the prophetic office of Christ? This should be simple stuff, uh, in the sense that you know Jesus. Functions like a prophet. He speaks God's word. He foretells the future. He does a little bit of that too, right? Matthew 24, uh, Luke 21. Um, he, he does a little bit of both. He proclaims God's word, God's judgment. He proclaims a little bit of the future. He proclaims the truth, right? And he is um, the prophet whom, um, uh, yeah. So next week, we'll look at what is uh, Jesus' is priest. We will look at... Um, um, his, this is where we'll get into the atonement. What does Jesus do on the cross for us? So um, make sure you come uh, next week. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son is the Messiah, the Anointed One, our prophet, priest, and king. We thank you, Lord, that your Son um, is the King who rules the universe for our good. He rules the church, through word and sacrament, to forgive us our sins and to strengthen our faith. And he rules uh, in heaven with his saints. We thank you that, he, that your son is the prophet who has told us the truth about God, who's revealed you to us and has shown us the way to eternal life. Help us to cling to this faith and to never let it go, no matter what happens. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.